Welcome, I'm Ruth Frenger, founder of Conscious Leaders. This podcast is about providing you with disruptive insights from human leaders, the progressive leaders, and they're willing to talk about the highs and lows of business so you can take away both their philosophy and how it plays out practically day to day. Learn about the podcast and us at consciousleaders.org.uk. I'm excited to share with you today my interview with Martin Sibley. Martin is CEO of Purple Goat, and they are an influencer marketing agency focused on disabled people. I started by asking him just how he got to where he is now. I guess work-wise, I've ended up being at this intersection of people, technology, and disability inclusion. And as we were kind of chatting around a bit before, the, the disability part, it's, it's been since I was born. I have a genetic disability. Um, so when I was three, I had my first power wheelchair. Um, I've always needed a lot of care support, originally from mum and dad, and then in later life, kind of care assistance, more sort of professional care assistance. Um, yeah, as we were saying, it was that kind of not wanting to be defined by having that disability. That you know, there's all other parts to me, but then career-wise, it certainly ended up becoming my purpose and my mission around yeah, really creating a world that is more inclusive for everybody. I mean, sort of very quick work-wise, I. I studied at uni, I did uh, economics and then a master's in marketing. I did five years at a disability charity, four of which were in London. It was sort of partly the job and it was partly the allure of wanting to just live and work in London. And I guess that probably that gave me more insights into the scale of difficulties that disabled people as a community face. Whereas prior to that, it was things I experienced as an individual. So that education if you like around the scale of the difficulties was was a big part of what I went on to do so I left that job in 2011 and do kind of like speaking and consulting all that kind of you know different elements and a lot of social media blogging kind of skills and knowledge set thrown in but there was this sort of elusive business model um, obviously freelancing and you know doing the kind of talking and consulting was obvious but I started a magazine and we were really struggling on how to monetize it, quite frankly, how to then employ people and, and grow it and have more impact. Um, so yeah, I was looking around for lots of, I suppose, ways to get new ideas and new inspiration. And um, living in St. Ives, I just want to move back to where I grew up. So St. Ives near Cambridge. Yeah, it's not Cornwall, yeah. exactly. Thank you for clarifying that. I know people always get confused with that one. So yeah, St. Ives in Cambridge, yeah. Um, yeah, basically um, reached out to the business school, as you say, where we are now, and was just like, is there any way that there'd be any coaching or mentoring available? I've done all these cool things like traveling and adventures and all the sort of writing books, and but just struggling with the business model. And they said, yeah, there's a couple of people we can intro to you. So this was three years. It's the whole pre-pandemic and post-pandemic that we're all defining the world by now, I think, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I came in, met a couple of people. One of the chats was this concept of what about influencer marketing? And three years ago, it was not, I guess, as known as it maybe is a bit more known now, I would say. So I went away, found one of the leading influencer marketing agencies called The Goat on LinkedIn. Through quite a few months of you know, giving talks and interactions, said, we should set up an agency that specializes in disabled influencers. We named it Purple Goat. That launched in April 2020. 
and yeah, so I'm now co-founder CEO of Bevel Goat. Um, we'll come on to some of the, the the challenges in a little while, but just that full circle is that yeah, I managed to get a room back at the place I was just over three years ago, mm. and nice to see how much has happened and changed for good really in that time. And one of my other podcast guests um, runs a influencer marketing agency. Her name's Charlotte Williams, and the agency's called Seven Six, mm-hmm. and they mainly um, black influencers. Um, or diverse audiences quite broadly. And it'd be interesting to to hear what it's like for your group of influencers as disabled people, because she found, the reason that she sent up, up this influencer marketing agency is that she was an influencer and she'd find she was treated quite badly and people she knew were treated quite badly. Mm. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what's it like for disabled influencers and, and, and how big is that? as an opportunity because mm. I imagine things are changing yeah so I mean prior to what we've then launched I think so in society some of the things you've said that Charlotte experienced and about that community of experience is probably similar but from an influencer perspective it was more no one was thinking to work with disabled people so it wasn't even like there were bad things happening, it just wasn't it happening. happening. <laughs> and then that comes back, which I briefly mentioned at the charity I worked at, when you start to understand there's 1.3 billion people globally with a disability, that equates to a lot of consumer spending power. And that's the bit we've been able to talk to the, the brands about, really. Um, and then obviously because influencer marketing has generally become more accepted, you know, it's hard to have one TV advert with every representation in it. Mm. But with influencer marketing, you can be that targeted. So whether it's a mainstream brand that wants to reach everyone, you should be working with disabled influencers. Or it's a wheelchair manufacturer, you can be very, very targeted with it, yeah. Mm. Um, But I think the main problem to your question was that brands just weren't even thinking about disability. And kind of focusing on the employment stuff from from your side, so so you as a leader Mm -hmm. in this um, agency that you run, what would you say your philosophy or approach to leadership is, if you were to sum it up? It's one of those, um, we were chatting about before, weren't we, one of those questions of like not wanting to just regurgitate, because I read lots of books and consume lots of content, and I'm always mindful, like, am I just repeating the trendy what is a leader? But I mean, from from my heart, I guess it's like the personal values. Even though I'm employing people, they're not all entrepreneurs. I still want them to have that sense of freedom that they're not being micromanaged, but equally that I and the other senior leaders are there when there's problems and challenges and worries. So it's really hard to distill it into like, or I at least haven't yet distilled it into like three to five core values or something. But certainly this kind of things I'm sharing now come to mind immediately that it's just that sort of, again, safe space that sounds a bit therapizing, but it, it is just that people can bring their best self and their true self. And when everyone does that, you, you get that rich tapestry and diversity. So the outcome is even better. So if people are bringing their true self to work, mm-hmm. how does that look or how do you enable an environment that allows that? So a couple of things jump out when you ask that is clothing. 
like I, I, I stuck a shirt on today because I was out and going out and meeting Ruth and it was quite nice sometimes to like you know feel a bit smarter but I've never bought into like needing to wear a suit every day and I think that's generational as well I think that that's just changed a bit over time but yeah and again each to their own but for me like dressing more casual is fine it doesn't detract from my capabilities as a businessman as an entrepreneur so I, I don't judge much around dress um I think also like qualifications it's become quite known that you don't have to just have a degree to be awesome in a job and in business so I guess in the sense like summarizing those two points is like looking a bit deeper and not those sort of just those first appearances literally with clothing but also in more metaphorical terms mm. as well it sounds like it might apply to like hiring as well because if you're interviewing people I guess maybe a lot online and if yeah and if you're thinking about maybe that they don't need set qualifications how, yeah. do, you, how do you find people for your business uh LinkedIn mainly yeah we do advert on LinkedIn and we, obviously we want to employ lots of disabled people it's not like we're only employing disabled people but probably like 50% is a a good target bearing in mind 20% of the population has a disability we want to be higher than that baseline because of the nature of the work we do but there are benefits to not only having disabled people in the business as well but yeah even I a big buzzword is unconscious bias so I'm a wheelchair user so if someone applies in a wheelchair I'm like yeah you know I get it you know if we have a social event we need to make sure it's accessible if your energy levels are lower you know we'll work around that which all those sort of things are important to factor in but yeah if someone is blind or deaf I'm I don't know that experience and those specific access needs so in the end it's just letting that person advocate for themselves better but like really asking the right questions to tease that out hmm. and this sounds like really important for other businesses who maybe would want to hire more disabled people. And it sounds like we're talking about disability in its broader sense. Yeah. If you say 20% of the population, we're talking about mental and physical. Yeah, like it would go, well, we, we often break it down of uh, mobility, visual, hearing, um, neurodiverse is a, quite a big one. It sounds, again, it gets a bit semantics as well. Right. But yeah, you're right. It, it's certainly a lot of society think disability is wheelchair user, which I'm, I fit into that cliche. But no, actually, yeah, like I think there's 1.2 million wheelchair users in the UK, but 14 million disabled people. So it gives you an idea of the lower percentage that are wheelchair users versus some of those segments that we just touched upon. Mm. And it sounds like there's a kind of a theme here of like celebrating the ordinary. Yes. Like the, the normal things that disabled people are going through mm. that means that this becomes more normalised, more part of our day-to-day conversation, not some weird thing that we avoid talking about. Yeah. Because it's a bit scary, we might say something wrong. Yeah. I even looking at, you know, so, so I, about like five years ago, I mentioned the startup. So it was a travel, an accessible travel startup, and we sold it to Airbnb. And it sounds like more life-changing than it was. It, it wasn't a kind of now retired to Spain vibes financially. <laughs> You're not sipping margarita not, on an island not yet. yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> But, but it was cool because it was impact and it got disability travel, accessible travel into the mainstream. But other than that, the business stuff was tough, as we talked about earlier. But I was sort of becoming more known as an influencer myself. 
And one thing, just to your point about celebrating the ordinary, what I've found hard since Purple Goat's doing millions of revenue is I don't want to just automatically become a pin-up poster for disabled entrepreneur has some success. Cause, and that's kind of why I said to you earlier, I don't want to be known just as a disabled person. But isn't that, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, no, isn't, that, yeah. isn't that inspiring for lots of people? Isn't, you know, whether you're disabled or you're not, you think, oh, how interesting, let me read more about this person. Yeah, so I'm fully aware that part of that is me, and as I sort of mentioned to you a couple of times, the last six months have been harder with like health and well-being and bit of burnout and that kind of stuff. But I think if I'm honest, a bit of imposter syndrome and generally like, oh my God, I'm responsible for this thing that's now a monster, you know, like a lovely monster, but it's huge now. So I'm fully self-aware that I'm partly not wanting to become that sort of, you know, pin-up poster, inverted commas, just because of things I'm working through at the moment on my own self and what it all means to me as well. Yeah, it sounds like, it's like limiting your exposure yeah. to like too much publicity. Which is weird because I've always, I've done TV, I've done radio, I've done, I've done loads of media, but it was as, it was more as disabled guy advocating, disabled guys, that, you know, I, I flew a plane and did husky dog sledding in minus 32 degree fin, like it was that narrative. But this is the first time it's like, okay, this could go quite big now you know like not just purple go because i'm thinking you know down the road we may exit there may be a buyout and like there's so many other things that need fixing but it's sort of like it's another i'm on a new stage basically Mm. so that that's a bit of a tangent to your point but i think the other reason i'm mindful of that poster pin-up thing is for that reason like we i want the world to celebrate disabled people in all parts of life so i don't want to by by becoming a successful entrepreneur, I don't want to change that approach. If you see what I mean, almost like a conflict around that as well. Mm. Well, it sounds like you're doing, you know, or you could potentially do both. You are doing both. You are um, a role model in some ways, but you're you're because you work with influencers. Your job is to shine a light on mm. all these. Yeah, people. it becomes a bit more. Yeah, because I've done quite a lot of. Um, coach and it feels like we're having a little mini coaching chat now as well which I appreciate Ruth um, but yeah some of the coaching I've done that that definitely came through of like I've had this hero's journey but there's a sort of thing around we're going really off left field now but mature masculinity and that's about almost giving others a platform and, and facilitating rather than being the centre of it mm. so again it's a shift that I'm going through at the moment. Okay, this is a very interesting topic. Tell me more about mature <laughs> masculinity. Yeah, so, oh my God, because it, like, it encompasses so many different parts. Because even from my disability perspective, I rely on care support for so much. So I sometimes don't feel fully empowered in the most basic physical things. So like there's a thing around, like I'm not six foot, six pack buff man. So like there's that whole masculinity thing I've pondered for a while in that way. But then obviously the way I met, brought it up a minute ago is more in the business sense or the career sense. And yeah, it, it is just that sense of you, the hero's journey in the film, the hero comes out at the end of the film, blood all over the face, 
and they've slayed the dragon and they've achieved everything. And I feel like all the goals I had I've achieved and I was like, do I need to then achieve new ones to aim for new ones and achieve them? Which I think eventually there will be a bit of that. But I think the nature of those goals are going to be different. And so, yeah, just to kind of say what I said before, it feels like it's more about that that facilitation and that, I almost want to say the godfather, like it's this sort of, which is a bit of a left-field mafia metaphor. We're not doing any of that, a purple goat. But yeah, it, it becomes more around bringing others into the fold that previously weren't. So it's lifting others up, giving yeah. them a platform. Thank you for putting it better than I was struggling yeah. to, but yeah. No, it's, it's really good stuff. And I mean, masculinity as a whole subject is, and that is a whole other podcast as yeah. well. But it is, it is really interesting to think about how by leading, we can step back. Yeah. And I know I've, again, partly because of the care, the need for care and the disability stuff, I had to develop bigger emotional intelligence to just survive, like just to live. And I know that that's one of my superpowers at work, but I also know that what you might call a more masculine trait of like being a bit more decisive and straight to the point, I sometimes struggle with. So I, yeah, like you're right, it's a whole other bigger, bigger conversation, but I, my observations is that the world became too much masculine energy but that doesn't need to be a negative to men or a threat to men. Men and women have masculine and feminine energy, but we just got out of balance with too much of the doing and achieving and thriving. And so another part of my well-being exploration is sometimes it's fine to sit in the garden and do nothing, but I've not done that for all of my working life because I'm always like, what needs doing now? What? should I be doing to achieve more so yeah the sort of learning that you and in a weird way I have better ideas and more impact off the back of that stillness and that relaxation so I've definitely been getting more into like meditation and mindfulness and that kind of stuff Mm. yeah and and share as little or as much as you want but I'm curious to hear about your well-being journey and and what's led you to to do this shift Mm. to be more still Less achievement oriented. So I mentioned the last six months were particularly difficult, but I've always had to watch my energy levels. Again, very much relating to my condition. So, yeah, there's always been thoughts and considerations around working from home, particularly in winter, has its benefits. And yeah, that kind of, you know, five, six years ago, I got a bit more into sort of reading the, the personal development books, not just business how-to books but more the well-being and the personal development but I just kind of felt like I I understood them I learned them but I didn't embody them whereas the last year or two with the pandemic having to kind of sit with our own thoughts a bit more with Purple Goat going as big as I ever could have dreamt of that was what pushed me more to actually live some of those theories rather than just consume those theories. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, ultimately the, the bigger reason I started to go quite, I, I use the word dizzy, but yeah, like a bit lightheaded when I was on video calls. And I have, a, I struggle even at the moment doing video calls, but yeah, like here we are, this is such a pleasure and I'm loving every minute and feeling very healthy. So 
I guess I learned my body was actually saying, you need to get out of this room we've been in for two years. You need to get off this laptop that I was on too many hours every day trying to pick up, you know, get more clients, all the sales stuff. Um, so I did have a bit of a health crash. And, and then around Christmas, I got a really bad bout, bout of COVID and a really close friend of mine passed away as well. So it was like literally all different angles was like, you just need to be in bed for a week and not work for six weeks. And that's kind of what happened because otherwise I just wasn't truly actually making these changes. Mm. So February and March was still a bit low energy and a lot of um, knocked confidence, but sort of spring into summer, I've got my physical health back up to where it was before and gradually the confidence is coming back and I'm almost sort of now going, I'm better and stronger and I've still got all this amazing other things to show you for the last two years. But yeah, I don't want to ever put myself in that position. I want to prevent it now more going forward. This kind of, and it sounds like, we all use different words, but it sounds like kind of burnout that you experience. Yeah, I definitely have an aversion to labelling what happens. yes. And I know that's a really good point because on the one hand, I'm really open, like both sat with you now, but like on my social media, I'm generally always been quite an open book. But I, and even with mental health, I've written posts about seeing a therapist over the years and just what why I did that and what that meant for me. But I'm still that, like the word burnout, the word, you know, like mental health, they just, back to that word stigma, right? I sometimes worry that, can the CEO of a marketing agency that is working with global clients publicly admit to having burnout? And I know saying it now, of course you can, but that subconscious part of me sometimes is like, you shouldn't put that out there because people might judge you, you know? So I think there's been a lot around that narrative to work on mm, as well. It is interesting, these these different voices we hear. And what And what I'm actually particularly interested in is how you communicate to your staff mm. when this is going through because this stuff is very common mm. from entrepreneurs from big business so yeah how do you how do you communicate or what did what happened is there anything that you think you did well or badly that you kind of learned from it or i mean so when i was literally in bed with covid it was just a matter of other people knowing i was ill and picking up the slack and so I guess the first point is I had in Goat a great business partner and I've got a couple of members at Purple Goat who are sort of senior management and all of them rallied around and just picked up whatever needed picking up. So the first thing is having awesome people around really. And that definitely, not that I ever knew that I would end up having the problems I did, but I definitely had created that myself by nurturing the relationship with them over time that I know they'll always go into battle for Purple Goat. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I then think, to your point, I probably didn't communicate it well enough and honestly enough because I was just annoyed at myself that I wasn't running at the levels I was last year, feeling a bit like a failure. And so, and I, and I think I probably put myself under bigger standards because I sometimes am feeling like I'm compensating of... So I've got this disability, so I still want to prove to the world that having a disability doesn't matter. And as you've just said, what I experienced is actually quite common, disabled or not. But I was a bit hung up on, oh, is it because of my disability and this kind of stuff. 
but then yeah as time's gone on I've been very open about you know basically I, I just overdid it for two years and when I went to Poland in June with my fiance's family for three weeks I was like I just need this time off because I'd I still would kept checking in and working even when I was kind of trying to recover but I was still thinking of work a lot and literally last month that true true disconnect has been the big turning point and I've come back and I'm firing on all cylinders um so yeah I if I did it again I'd be more honest and more open but to be fair to myself I didn't totally understand what was going on Mm. until a lot of coaching and therapy chats helped me to understand it myself yeah and kind of to close I don't know whether this has affected the way you lead and anything about mental health in in internally with your staff I don't know that's had any effect on you this experience you've had over the last yeah definitely yes um I mean even like saying that had consumed lots of sort of I don't say abstract but like content on mindfulness and content on meditation and that sort of stuff whereas I've noticed that there's like diary of a CEO podcast the guy that um runs brew dog Oh, I listened to that the other day. I, I James the other, yeah. How yeah. did you find that? Oh, that's a whole other thing. I know, right? Yeah. Um, in summary, I wanted to hate him mm. after everything. Mm-hmm. And I thought Stephen Bartlett was quite nice to him in the first hour. But in the second hour, God, I really did get tough yeah, yeah. with the questions. And I thought it was fair. Yeah. And I thought he really was very transparent about mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Um, we're not hearing the whole picture, obviously. And he's either very genuine or very well PR briefed, maybe mm-hmm. a mix of both, I yeah. don't know. Um, but I was impressed. Yeah. I might start drinking Brewdog again after. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Yeah, very similar. I I guess in some ways the reason I brought it up is, as you said, whether he is a good or bad person for this purpose is less relevant. But it certainly showed me that CEOs have these difficulties because he talks about mental health. And as a result of what's gone on again whether it's a bit of a they're doing it just to save face or whether it's because they genuinely do want to do it but they're doing a lot around understanding like the pulse check of their employees and being transparent about the results so that's the kind of stuff that's coming on my radar now and I've always as I said earlier like this empathy I've always had a lot of general empathy but as we're like up to 11 staff at Purple Goat and it's only going to get bigger. I don't often sit like we are across in the same room, though. So I am thinking a lot more of whilst I often send a WhatsApp, how are you doing, and have catch-ups on video calls, how are you doing? Like, I don't know that's the only way to get a true picture. So literally today at the management meeting, I'm saying let's just start to explore ways that I don't want to have a suggestion box because that just sounds like going back to school but it's that type of thing Mm. that there's a mechanism for people to come forward but also the culture that they really want to bring their ideas forward so I think that just comes through me as a person but I'm definitely thinking how as it grows how to scale that because I can't have that same contact with so many people Mm. so yeah it's definitely had a positive effect around how I'm going to become a leader in the future. Thank you, Martin, for allowing us to talk about the benefits of mindfulness in a a deeper way there and how you might connect with employees more deeply in a sustainable way. That sounds like a great ongoing inquiry. I'm also loving this exploration of the mature masculine. 
It feels like it needs a whole podcast in itself. I'm Ruth Varenga, and you've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast, showcasing the human side of great leadership so you can learn about what it's really like and gain both philosophical and practical takeaways. To learn more about us and what we do to help leaders build a calm, collaborative and productive workplace, visit ConsciousLeaders.org.uk.